service, and we're delighted that you've chosen to join us this evening. And uh, before we get into our message, I want to share two prayer requests. The first is for me, and uh, tomorrow morning at 6.30, I'm going to report to the hospital to have a couple of patches of skin removed from my scalp. Uh, both are some form of cancer, and uh, so if you would, I'd appreciate your prayers. The second is for a church in Rio Grande, New Jersey, down there by Cape May, and it's for Rio Grande Baptist Church. What's happened is they held a drive-in service last Sunday, and uh, later on in the week, the authorities came by the pastor's office and told him that he had to cease and desist doing that, that it was illegal because it was more than 10 people gathering. And uh, if, they, if they persisted, they would be, be uh, prosecuted. Now, we've talked with David Gibbs, or we've seen David Gibbs talk with us, about the importance of the churches being open. And uh, we do have a constitutional right to practice our religion, uh, but the government is infringing on that. And it seems very unfair that the liquor stores can be open and the grocery stores can be open and, and uh, other places can be open, but churches can't be. So pray for Brother Jeff and uh, the CLA as they deal with the situation by the way, I understand there are other churches uh, across America who have had the same issues and the same fight, and I, I guess it's going to end up in court somewhere, but pray for uh, Rio Grande Baptist Church and their situation there. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, I want to look at the first six verses. I want you to follow along with me. The Bible says, and it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obedience, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And I want to preach tonight on the subject of don't let your heart be stolen. Now, Lord, bless us once again. We thank you for your word. We know your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We know it's alive, and we do pray that you would bless our time. We're going to spend in it tonight. Speak to hearts through your word, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, and have your way in all that's said and done, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. What we have before us here in 2 Samuel 15 is a narrative of a very sad and a very tragic occurrence in the life of David when David was the king over Israel. The man Absalom who's mentioned here is actually the son of King David. Prior to what we've read in our text, the Bible tells how David and his son 
Absalom were now estranged. There was a, a rift between them. And uh, their relationship was estranged. And that was because some years earlier, Absalom's half-brother had uh, raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. And Absalom became so enraged with what his brother had done that he killed him. And when King David learned about what Absalom had done now, he banished Absalom from the city. He, if you would, we could put it this way, exiled Absalom. Now, Absalom had some friends of, uh, who came to the king and petitioned the king that he might bring Absalom back. They kept telling him, king, you've got to make things right with your son and bring him back. And David resisted for quite a while, but then he finally acquiesced and he brought Absalom back to the city. Now he's back in town. But when he comes back in town, David brought him back into the city, but David wouldn't see him. He wouldn't speak to him. And all of this enraged Absalom. And, as he, he, and he has become very angry and bitter. And so now he concocts a plan that he's going to steal the kingdom from his father. He's going to work behind David's back, and he's going to work to steal the hearts of the men of the city. In our text, we read how he worked to undermine David and to steal the hearts of the men of Israel, the Bible says. His plan is to get the men of Israel to turn away from David and to follow him. So he sought to win their hearts to himself. And I thought about this, and I thought there's something very similar going on in the Christian realm today. When a person comes to Christ and is saved, that person now becomes a part of the kingdom of God and the family of God. And that person's heart is supposed to be set on the Lord. We're expected to be faithful to him and to be loyal to him. However, there are forces that seek to steal our heart from the Lord. These forces want us to turn our back on God and to follow them. I believe each of us has to be on guard, and we need to purpose not to allow anything to steal our heart from God. And then this evening, I want to mention several ways that we need to be careful about letting our heart be stolen and things that are trying to steal our heart. The first one we want to talk about is don't allow Satan to steal your heart. I read over in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, how Satan had, had the audacity to come and try to tempt Jesus Christ to turn his back on God and be loyal to Satan. He offered him everything he could possibly offer him to sway Christ. And of course, we know the end of the story. Jesus refused to allow Satan to turn him from his father. Now, Satan wants to steal every believer's heart. Those who are unsaved have no heart for God, and so Satan's not much concerned about them, but he is concerned about stealing the hearts of God's people. He uses various methods. He uses lies. He uses deception. He uses temptation, all to steal the believer's heart, just like Absalom was using uh, underhanded methods to steal the heart of David's men. The devil has many different ways he tries to steal our heart. For instance, he portrays sin as fun and satisfying. He tells us he has our pleasure and our satisfaction uh, at heart, 
and he tries to tempt us to go after the things of the world and the, the events of the world. He says, he says to the believer, hey, I just want you to enjoy life. And the fact is, if we go his direction, it doesn't bring joy. Matter of fact, it brings just the opposite. But he never shows the pain and suffering that sin brings. He doesn't show the pain and suffering that adultery will bring to a family with broken trust and broken vows and broken hearts and ultimately broken families. He never tells the teenager who's involved in a physical relationship out of wedlock about the heartache of an unwanted pregnancy or a disease or, or the later regrets that young person might have over what they've done. He never mentions the grief that the alcoholic has to endure. You know, it's a shame, and it really irks me sometimes when I think how liquor, the liquor crowd in America gets a pass. They've come against the tobacco crowd. They've come against the asbestos crowd. They've come against uh, different, different uh, groups of people. But when it comes to alcohol, the government says, hands, hands off. If you're wondering why, it's follow the money. But the devil never, never shows the, the agony, if you will, and the hurt and the heartache that the alcoholic endures. And uh, the compulsive gambler. I used to work when I was working in the can company. I worked with a fellow who was a compulsive gambler. And I remember on one occasion, it was payday, and uh, we worked the night shift. We got done at 7 o'clock in the morning. And oftentimes, a bunch of the guys would go down to the bar at 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, they would play darts, and they would play pool, and they would play uh, liar's poker and different things, and gamble. And this fellow went down one morning and gambled away his whole paycheck. He was addicted to gambling, and he didn't know how to say no. And the devil doesn't show us that kind of thing. He shows us how much fun we're going to have. And uh, Satan makes folks think they, they can get away with sin. I want to sh share this with you and understand this. That is an absolute lie straight out of the pit of hell. We never get away with sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. I made a little note here. You know, it's interesting. Sin always has a price tag. God will forgive our sin, but we have to deal with the results of our sin. Over in Galatians 6, it says, For what a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we need to understand if we sow to sin, we're going to reap the results of sin. Each of us needs the purpose not to allow anything to steal our heart from God. So we must not allow Satan to steal our heart. Secondly, we must not allow the world to steal our heart. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John writes this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What John is telling us there is we cannot love God and the world at the same time. That's the thrust of John's statement there. He says, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not saying that God don't love the person who loves the world. Listen, our love, God's love for us is unconditional. But what he's saying is the person who loves the world doesn't love God. Boy, I wouldn't want to be in that boat. Jesus taught that same principle over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, 
when he said, no man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And of course, mammon is an Aramaic word for riches or treasure. You can't love the things of this world and love the Lord at the same time. It's one or the other. And you know, the world tries to steal our affection from God. The world wants us to abandon God's ways and live according to the ways of the unsaved, live according to the culture of the world. And I'm very distressed because I see so many Christians who are fallen prey to that very thing. They, they're not living by what the Bible says or the principles and precepts and even the standards of the Bible. They're allowing the world to dictate their standards, their personal standards of dress and where they go and what they will do and what they'll watch, what they'll read, etc. And it ought not to be that way. Our guide on all of those things ought to be the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. The world wants us to abandon God's ways and live according to, to it. And the world wants us to live for the things of this world. Wealth, fame, popularity, the praise of men, accomplishments, pleasure. The world wants us to go after all of those things so that we will not be going after the Lord. And it's a, it's a, it's a known principle that one's love for the things of this world will crowd out one's love for God and will actually make a person's priorities change. God is to be the number one priority. But I have seen so many fall prey to the world and suddenly their priorities change and it's no longer what God wants, it's what the world says. Believers must never allow the world to steal their heart. We need to guard against that and against the ways and the things of the world, the attitudes, the activities. We need to guard against becoming too wrapped up in the things of this world. Listen, we need to remember, we are pilgrims here, just passing through on our way home. And everything we amass in this life, we're leaving behind. So we ought not to be living for the, the, the things of this world. We ought to be living for the things of eternity. And Jesus even said so in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. We need to guard our, prior, our priorities. God and Jesus Christ must be our number one priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Living for him, pleasing him, serving him, being obedient to him, all ought to be the priorities of our life. So we need to be careful that no one be allowed uh, to steal our hearts, and number one, by not allowing Satan to steal our heart, and number two, not allowing the world to steal our heart, and then number three, by not allowing difficulties to steal our heart. James says over in James 1, verses 2, 3, and 4, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Listen, friend, if you're a saved person, I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but I, I have to lay this on you. If you're a saved person, you need to expect trials and tribulations in your life. Peter said over in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the 
fiery trial which, trieth, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Listen, we should not be surprised at the hardships that come when we try to live for the Lord. Uh, they're promised to us. Jesus said in, in uh, Luke, no, John 16, verse 33, that in the world you shall have tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And if you're a believer who's made any effort at all to live for the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. Believers are not immune to trials, tribulations, hurts, and heartaches. And there's another aspect of these trials and tribulations we go through, and that's the fact that the Lord uses those kinds of things to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. They're kind of the tools that God uses to mold and shape us for himself. Trials and tribulations ought not drive us away from the Lord, but ought to draw us closer to the Lord. You know, it's a sad thing, but oftentimes when somebody's going through trials and tribulations, they'll feel like God doesn't love them anymore and has abandoned them. They begin to doubt God. Listen, friend, just because you're going through trials and tribulations doesn't mean God's against you and doesn't mean he's forgot about you. They're just a part of the Christian life that we have to live and get through. Oftentimes, when going through trials and tribulations, believers blame the Lord and get angry at him and turn their back on him. Sometimes believers even think God is unfair. You know, that, that amazes me. Who are we to decide what's fair and what's not fair? Hmm. Our trials and tribulations, on the other hand, and we have to remember this, when we go through trials and tribulations, we need to go to the Lord and ask him if it's, if it's a trial and tribulation to mold and shape us or is it a trial and tri tribulation is chastening on us. And God will chasten us according to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Listen, sometimes our trials and tribulations are the result of God's attempts to get our attention and to bring us back where we should be spiritually. By his chastening, God is, is actually demonstrating his love. And those verses we just read brings that out. We need never to allow trials, tribulation, tri tribulation, hurts, and heartaches to rob us of our love for God and our loyalty to God. We must never believe God is unfair or that he does not care about us. Listen, friend, he cared enough to send his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross for us, for each one of us. He loves us that much. And as I said earlier, his love is unconditional, and we ought never to think that God has turned his back on us. When we go through hard times, we need to draw closer to him and not bail out on him. Multitudes of believers today are out of church and away from the Lord because they allowed their trials and their tribulations, their hurts and their heartaches to steal their heart away from God. I remember one man who was a, an usher there at Faith Baptist Church with Pastor Fidena and uh, a son of this of this fellow committed suicide, and uh, it devastated the family. And uh, this fellow uh, let that get like a burr under his saddle, 
After that, he got out of church. He got away from the Lord. Uh, we never saw him again in the church house. Listen, that's not how we ought to react to the trials and tribulations of life. We need the purpose not to allow anything to steal our heart from, from God, even difficulties. And then we need the purpose that we will not allow discontentment to steal our heart from the Lord. Over in Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul says this, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Listen, as believers, we need to learn to be content with God's will. You know, it's very easy to be content when everything's going well, going our way. But it becomes much harder to be content when things go south on us and don't go our way. Those are the times when we experience sickness or maybe a layoff from our job or a financial setback or maybe family problems, maybe even the death of a loved one. Listen, discontentment can cause a believer to become bitter at God. The marriage partner who's made abandon them, they're left alone and they don't like it and they become angry and upset with God. Or maybe the parent whose child becomes seriously ill and dies, they become upset with God and discontent with his will. The, uh, the, there are so many others, and we're going through some, some very difficult times in our country right now, and people are having a hard time. My, 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 it breaks my heart as I see the food lines of places, uh, like I saw one in Florida and one in California, and uh, even locally, these uh, people lining up for food because we're in such a difficult place in our country. It breaks my heart. But listen, friend, we, shouldn't, we should be content with whatsoever state God allows us to be in. Uh, it reminds me of Job. In Job chapter 1 and verse 21, he said this, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. You say, well, yeah, Job was doing well. No, no, no. If you've ever read the book, you understand. Job, in the beginning, is a wealthy man with 10 children and much cattle and barns and things of that nature. And, uh, and uh, he lost everything. His, his, his cattle was taken from him. His barns were taken from him. His children were taken from him. And uh, even his health was taken from him. He ends up on the ash heap scraping his boils. But yet he can still say, naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord give, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We need to be in that kind of frame of mind. Job was content in God's will. We never find Job getting bitter at God over what happened. And by the way, if you read the book, you find out in the end, God blessed him for his faithfulness. And uh, we, it's such a joy to come to the end of that book and see how, how God took care of him. Many are discontented Christians today, discontented maybe with their situation in life, discontented with the job that God's allowed them to have, or maybe even their mate that God's allowed them to have. Listen, friend, we need to learn to be content. Many are dis discontented today with their appearance. Do you realize that the uh, plastic surgery industry is a one of the fastest growing industries in America today. When I started dealing with these spots on my scalp, 
someone mentioned going to a dermatologist, and their response was this uh, from the person I was talking to. Well, you'll, you'll wait six months to get into a dermatologist. And then they said, you'll wait another six months to get into a plastic surgeon to do the surgery. There are a lot of people who are unhappy with their looks, with how God's made them, and they want to get it changed. Uh, now, listen, I'm not against having things fixed if you can get it fixed. But before we do that, we need to learn to be content with how God has made us. Listen, we're not cookie-cutter Christians. God didn't make us all the same. And, uh, you know, if, if we had our choice, most of us would choose other things than what God has chosen for us. I know I would choose to be 6'6". Six, six. Amen? I'd like to see how the air is up there. But I'm not so discontent with what, how God's made me that I'm looking to somehow uh, add six inches or, well, I guess a little more than that, uh, to my stature that I might be 6'6". Six, six. And, you know, I thought about this. If I could be 6'6", six, six, it would take care of my weight problem. So I'd be killing two birds with one stone. But listen, we need to learn to be content with who God made us. He made us a designer model. And even in our personalities, we need to allow him to have his way and, and to serve him and, and, and to be what he wants us to be. Then fifthly, we must not allow neglect to steal our heart. Neglect. James, over in James 4.8, says this. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. You know, up until this, this emergency we've been dealing with for the last two months hit America, it seemed like everybody was busy. Everybody seemed like was going, 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 you know, buzzing here, buzzing there, doing this, doing that. And uh, I've even said many times, in our society, it seems like your worth is determined by how busy you are. Well, this pandemic has, pandemic has really slowed things down. But listen, even, even the way things are now, God can easily get crowded out of our schedule. We need to have him in our schedule, and we need to keep him in our schedule. I'm talking about having a scheduled time for a Bible reading, having a scheduled time for our prayer. For, for many folks, they're... Their routines have been turned upside down. But listen, this is a routine that ought not to be affected by, by this pandemic. We ought to be in, our, in the Word of God every day and in our prayer closet every day consistently. And then neglecting the things of the Lord will allow our heart to grow cold towards Him. You know, that's where backsliding begins. It begins when we start getting away from the basic things in our relationship with the Lord. And I'm talking about Bible reading and prayer. I've said many times when, uh, when I'm counseling with someone who's backslidden on God, one of the questions I, I like to ask him is, when, when did you stop reading your Bible? And oftentimes they're surprised, well, how do you know I quit reading my Bible? Well, that's how you got backslidden. See, that's the first step. You don't get backslidden in one big giant step. I don't believe a man uh, gets up from reading his Bible and out of his prayer closet and goes and commits adultery. I don't believe that. 
I believe it starts by getting away from our Bible and getting away from our prayer closet, and pretty soon we get away from the Lord and what he wants. And so we need to keep our, our, the fires burning in our heart for the things of God. That's where backsliding begins. Backsliding is a step-by-step process, and uh, we need to be on guard and careful that we not fall into it. Don't let your heart be stolen. Hmm. Don't let your heart be stolen. I wonder if there's some folks listening tonight, and maybe, maybe as I've been talking about hearts being stolen, maybe you find yourself in that position. Your heart has been stolen. Hmm? Somehow, some way, something has come along, and something has interrupted your relationship with the Lord. Your heart has been stolen from Him. We get away from Him. We get away from our closeness to Him. Then we begin to do things we ought not to be doing. And the next thing you know, we're, we, we are estranged from God, just like Absalom was estranged from David, his father. We need to be careful not to allow neglect of spiritual things to steal our heart from God. I wonder tonight, examine yourself. Has something stolen your heart? And when I say that, I'm talking about, is there something that has taken the place in your heart that God really should have? If you say yes to that question, I wonder, would you tonight say, I want to put God back on the throne of my heart. I, I, I don't want anything to steal my heart away from him. And friend, I, I'd encourage you to get on your face before God. Confess your sin and ask him to help you to draw nigh to him. Remember, James said, if we draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. And we need to do that. And of course, if you're, if you're not saved, I would encourage you today, before you ever put your head on the pillow tonight, get on your face before God and cry out for salvation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The cry God's waiting to hear from you is, God, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Grant me eternal life through Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. That's the cry God wants to hear from every man, woman, and child in the world. That's why he sent his only begotten son to be that propitiation, that atonement for us and our sin. Oh, let me encourage you, friend. If you're a Christian, you're away from the Lord, get back right with God. Get your heart right with him. Get back where you need to be. Unsaved friend of mine, get saved. It's the most important and the best decision you ever make in your life. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, once again, we're thankful that we can come to you and we can bow our hearts and our, 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 our lives to you and give ourselves to you. Thank you that you hear the prayers of people when they come to be saved. And Father, I pray if there's any who are in the sound of my voice who have never been saved, I pray that even now, even while we're talking, they would be on their face before you talking to you and calling out for mercy and for salvation. And then I pray for the Christians who are listening tonight. It's so easy for our hearts to be stolen. 
Sometimes we're just so fickle that we allow our hearts to be stolen. Help us tonight to purpose. I'll not let that happen. I want my heart to be strong for the Lord. I want to draw, draw nigh to him and have him draw nigh to me. Oh, help us in that, I pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.